Today is Global Mission Sunday, and so for those of you who are new, you might be wondering, what did I get myself into? And they're probably going to take another offering, and we're going to say, yes, we are, but don't worry about it. We only do it uh, really once a year. Uh, we've done it twice this year because of uh, the disasters that, um, that hit and the hurricanes, but uh, we do, do this once a year. Uh, and I will say, for those of you who are new this morning, that it's actually a good week for you to come because you're going to hear not only the heart of God for the world, but our heart for the world and how we want to align uh, the things that we do around here to be aligned with the heart of God for all nations, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. So it's not a typical teaching time here today. You can grab some of the more typical stuff online. Uh, but today we're going to focus on particularly one work that we are very excited about in Kenya. So we're going to uh, go now to uh, the Embu province of Kenya and, uh, and to talk about what's happening there with Imani Christian School. This has been on our radar now for about four years. It began as a vision to start a Christ-centered uh, boarding school for orphans, and it has now become a reality as of January 4th. It is open, and we have got fourth graders now that have a hope and a future going forward. So we're very, very excited about that. Before we get into details about the school itself, I want to introduce you to six Kenyan orphans. And, uh, and these students are not here today. Uh, they couldn't afford the plane ticket, but um, they're here today in spirit. And we want to really show you the normal plight of an orphan that does not have the opportunities that, say, a middle-class family would in Kenya. So I'm going to introduce you to six young men or women. This is Peter. This is Peter. Peter is 14 years old. After he was orphaned when his mother died of AIDS, he quickly found that the streets of Enbu were very, very difficult. When the opportunity arose to have him join a gang, he quickly said yes, because it was the first time he really felt a camaraderie and a brotherhood. And so now he spends his days selling a drug known as Ket. It's a cocaine-like drug that's very popular in Embu. Peter, 14 years old, drug dealer in the Embu province. This is Celine. Celine is 15 years old. Her grandmother couldn't afford to send her to school or to provide for her, so she was married off to a 45-year-old farmer. She will likely outlive her husband, and her children will continue the same cycle of extreme poverty as their mother, struggling daily for survival. This is Celine, 15 years old. This is Samuel. Samuel is 16 years old. Sam's single mother couldn't afford his school fees, so he was sent home after the third grade. He now works as a day laborer, making about $2.90 a day. His girlfriend is pregnant, and the child will struggle, just like Samuel, to stay alive every day. This is Lillian. Lillian is eight years old. She's the oldest of her siblings, and as her single father works as a farmhand, making very, very meager wages, Lily takes care of the other siblings at home, so she can't go to school. When she's old enough, her hope is to possibly become a housemaid while she will make a little bit of money to perhaps provide for her siblings. This is Violet. Violet is 12 years old. When she was 10, a man from the city came to her aunt and promised to take care of Violet by giving her food, shelter, and an education. Instead, this man sold her into prostitution. She's now a child prostitute in the slums of Nairobi. Violet, 12 years old. This is Benson. Benson is nine years old. He was born to a mother who had AIDS, and so he's an AIDS orphan. 
Even though there are drugs that are readily available, thanks to generous foundations, the testing is not so readily available, and he was not diagnosed. He spends every day searching for food, for water, and for shelter, and he will likely not live past 12 years old. It's Benson. These are the very normal stories of orphans in Kenya that have no provision. They have no way to get an education. They have no broad base of support around them to give them a hope and a future. Now, as we hear these stories, a couple of things may go through our minds. We might think, you know what, um, I've heard a lot of tragic stories in my life, particularly lately, as our world is very, very small with the information age. We get bombarded with disasters that happen on a daily basis and all over the world. Disasters of drought and starvation, of civil war, of, uh, of injustice, of disease, of poverty. And we hear these stories coming at us so much so that we might have compassion fatigue. It used to be that compassion fatigue was for people like you know, therapists or, or pastors, people who, who bear burdens every day. And sometimes that compassion fatigue sets in. And then, and then the impact of the next tragic story just doesn't hit us like it used to because we've heard of so much tragedy. Now that the world is very small and this information all over the world is coming at us every single day, all of us can have compassion fatigue. We're, we just kind of get a little weary of the tragic stories and it just doesn't have the impact it used to. The other thing that could happen as we hear about these stories is there is a, a fairly popular theology that says, well, this world is getting worse. This is a popular Christian theology. It's waning a little bit, thankfully, but there is a Christian theology that says things are getting worse. And so catastrophes will continue to happen and get worse. Tragedies will continue to happen and get worse. Poverty and injustice will continue to happen and get worse. And so we hear stories like this and we might think, well, that's just the way things are. Things are going to get worse, ending in a massive apocalypse. So we can have compassion fatigue and we can have a theology that says things are getting worse. And so as a result, we might have a tendency to sideline ourselves just a little bit. It's not because we're not good people. It's just because of the nature of tragedy and the amount of tragedies and a little theological bent, it could mean that, well, we're just not compelled to really solve some of these problems. But we have to look to Jesus. We have to look to Jesus. He's the one we follow. So we have to think to ourselves, what were his priorities, especially when it came to those who were the least, the last, and the lost, the ones who were poor and marginalized and orphaned? Well, Jesus himself told his job description in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, which foretold that there would come somebody to be the savior of the world. So Jesus reads out of Isaiah in Luke 4, 18. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus rolls up that scroll in Isaiah and says, Isaiah was speaking about me. I am the savior. I'm the one who came to bring the Lord's favor, especially to the poor and the sick and the imprisoned. Jesus says, this is my job description. I've come to bring the favor of God to earth, especially to those who are the most broken. That's his job description. So Jesus then spends the next three years of his public ministry raising up a small army of disciples. These are hundreds at times, thousands of people that he was equipping to do the same thing because he knew his time here was going to be short. And so he equipped thousands of disciples to advance the cause of Christ, to keep the work going. And so at the end of his ministry, in Matthew chapter 25, he talks about the nature of his followers, the nature of his disciples. And so he says this. 
He says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. This is the character quality of a follower of Christ. This is, this is what we do with our lives because we're following Jesus Christ who cared for the sick, uh, who gave good news to the poor, uh, who comforted the oppressed. He was filling the gap between the reality of heaven and the reality of the earth, and then he raises us up to do the same. And so there's a compulsion in followers of Christ to do what Jesus did. There's a compulsion there. If Jesus did it, we are gonna do it. And that's so exciting. In fact, Jesus himself gave a huge vision, and it's a, it's, a, it's a big one. It's hard for us to get our heads around. He says, when you pray, pray like this. Pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our prayer. God, would you make earth like heaven? That's our prayer. That's what we are called to pray for. God, would you make earth like heaven? Well, we look around and, and we go through what we go through on a daily basis. And then we hear of, you know, tragedies locally and globally. And we hear stories like this and we might shake our head and say, that's not possible for earth to look like heaven. Well, Jesus says it is. Yeah, it's been 2,000 years since he told us to pray this, but hey, God's patient, right? But let's not lose vision Let's not lose the vision that God gave us. In fact, in Revelation eleven fifteen, it's that great seventh trumpet pronouncement that says this, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. It will happen. The kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of God. That will happen. Might take another 2,000 years, might take, might take 20,000, I have no idea. But Jesus gave this vision, this compelling vision that we're on board with, right? We follow him. So when he says pray that the kingdom of heaven comes to earth, and then when he tells us in Revelation 11 that that will happen, the kingdom of earth becomes the kingdom of heaven, then let's not lose hope. Let's not be discouraged by the things around us. Let's not be discouraged by the stories of tragedy. Let's not be discouraged by the reality of the, of the uh, Kenyan orphans. Let's instead be dedicated to filling the gap between the reality of heaven and the reality of earth. Let's be dedicated to filling that gap. Now, in our lifetime, it may not be filled completely. And because... Here we are, we are Temeculans in, a, in one church. We're not going to be totally responsible for filling that gap. But there's a body of Christ. There's a global, worldwide movement of Christ's followers committed to filling the gap between the way things are in heaven. And there is no poverty in heaven. There is no loneliness in heaven. There are no orphans in heaven. There's no isolation in heaven. And there's this beautiful thing that happens when the global church of Christ is dedicated to advancing the cause of Christ, that gap slowly closes. Bit by bit, person by person, child by child, that gap closes. So you might think to yourself, well, I can't do much. I'm just one person, one of seven billion people just kind of rolling around this, this earth, right? What can I do to close that gap between the reality in heaven and the reality in earth? Well, the reality is that one person can't close a lot, but together we can do incredible things. Jesus called the body of Christ, the global movement together to advance the cause of Christ. And so even though we're just one person or one family, we have thousands of partners here at Rancho. And as thousands of partners, each of us giving a little time, a little treasure with that dedication, a fierce dedication to close that gap, then a lot gets, a lot gets done. A lot gets done. A lot gets done once a year at this missions weekend. 
fact, going back to 2008 when we started this whole deal, we 100% funded the Palawana Bible. We had been committed to the Palawana people. It's a tribal group in the Philippines for 30 years, sending and supporting missionaries, sending and supporting uh, uh, trips to see this vision of a Palawano church that's serving its neighbors. And it's a tribal, up in the hills, up in the highlands type of a deal in the tropics. And for 30 years, we partnered and we funded the Bible. And I had the, the great privilege of going there um, in the Philippines and the island of Palawan to dedicate the Bible in written form, but very few of them can read their own language. So we gave them the audio form, the solar-powered audio Bible. It was awesome. And we just took care of that here at this weekend in 2008. Then 2009, we built a ministry center in southern Peru, and it fuels church planting and local ministries to university students through a library and coffee shop. Very cool. We just took care of it in 2009. 2010, we built three children's centers in Kazakhstan to build a bridge between um, uh, Christian families and Muslim families to begin a relationship and a dialogue in the community, particularly around their children. In 2011, we um, built uh, regional schools, actually several of them in Myanmar. Myanmar is desperately poor. Um, they, were, they were just struggling to become a democracy after just uh, horrible juntas, and they've got all kinds of problems now. But right now, because of 2011 and this weekend, there are children by the hundreds that don't have to walk 20, uh, um, go 20 miles to school, but they have it in their own neighborhood. That was 2011, took care of that. In 2012, we launched Plus One Palawano, a medical mission trip at the island of Palawan when we discovered that in the highlands, there was a 50% child mortality rate. We were so fiercely dedicated to that island, we couldn't see that um, continue. So we started Plus One Palawano, which is right now to this day, sending teams every single month up difficult terrain, mostly very tough uh, ladies that weigh about 80 pounds, carrying 60-pound backpacks up these cliffs to go to these highland tribal families to provide vaccines for children and basic nutrition for children and to cure um, um, uh, curable diseases for these kids. Incredible work since 2012. 2013. During this weekend, we built a safe house uh, in Ethiopia for women who are escaping prostitution. 2014, we broke ground on Imani Christian School. We'll talk about that more in detail today. 2015, we equipped a medical center that rescues uh, infants in Uganda that are just discarded like trash. They rescue those infants, bring them to a medical center for medical care. We equipped that in 2015. 2016, we raised enough money to open Imani Christian School. And as of January 14th of this year, Imani School is now open, and the fourth grade class just finished their first year of school at Imani, like today. So praise God for that. Very, very cool. I want to show you a video that was produced a few years ago when this was just a vision, and then uh, after this short video, we'll talk about where we are now and the vision going ahead. Let's take a look. If nothing is done, orphans in rural Kenya have very few choices. Drugs, early marriage, or dropping out of school with no chance to attend college and break the cycle of poverty. At Imani, we are providing access to education, financial support to ensure access to medical care, healthy nutrition, and a caregiver to provide oversight and share the love of Christ with them. boxes up in walls, but that don't change anything. There's a sun on the rise, painting all the sky blue. Where the morning meets the night and every color breaks through We learn how to fly through the fall, learn how to fight through it all We can see the world getting smaller as we rise up Learn how to give what we take, learn how to bend but not break To give it all and not play it safe every day like it'll be our last alive 
students the basics of farming, roasting, exporting, and operating a cafe and business. We have launched Imani Coffee. Coffee beans are bought from the farmers in Embu, locally roasted, and sold here with the proceeds benefiting the Imani program. Every place one beating heart. Thank you, For being our friends. For being our friends. And thank you for the gifts. Asante sana. Asante sana. Kwaheri. Kwaheri. All right, let's welcome Brian and Carrie Roush, the founders and uh, directors of Imani Christian School. Thank you. It is so exciting to have you here and to, uh, you know, we're, we're friends, we're in the home group together, our kids are in fourth grade together, and um, it's been so exciting to see this become an idea and then a reality of opening the school. And uh, you showed me pictures a little bit earlier of them wrapping up their first year of school. That's got to be very satisfying. Very stressful very, also, right? Very exciting. <laughs> pretty cool. Years. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I'm hoping for that it finally happens. So yeah. you guys did it. Absolutely. It's well, it's been very fun to be a, to be a part of that for sure. Uh, Brian, it's not every day that a uh, middle class Temecula family decides we're going to start a boarding school in Kenya. So that's quite a little journey. Explain how that went down. That's not quite how it happened. Yeah. <laughs> People ask me all the time, you know, did you did you always have a passion for this? How did you pick that region? And I didn't. They picked us. Yeah. And I can tell you, I was. You, you saw Simon in the the video there, the guy at the end, and. I was sitting across the table from him in Nairobi. We were doing a, a business deal together. And one day he just said, you know, you gotta come meet my family, come for dinner. So we went out to, and met grandma, who now calls me son. And um, she explained to me how she and the women of her village, they take care of the orphans. And out of their own pockets and what they can scrounge together, they care for these kids. And I, wow, that's great. And you know, I can help out with that a little bit. That's no big deal. And the next time I'm out there, she says, well, it's getting a little harder. Can you help them? Oh, we'll help, no problem. And then a couple years into this, she looks across the table to me in her broken English, and she says, the math is broken. And I thought, that's a weird thing to say to somebody, but what does that mean? And she said, the orphans keep coming, and the grandmas keep dying. That kind of sunk in for a minute, and, and Simon and I had a conversation, you know, can we, can we hire somebody to help out? Can they help keep these kids alive one way or another? And we could do that, you know, and then we both, we talked to some other kids, and then we both came to the conclusion that that's not good enough. Um, you know, middle-class kids in Kenya, they go to a boarding school, they get a good education, they have a chance to go to university, they have a chance to succeed. 
they have hope. And that's what we need to do. So that's when the boarding school idea came. It's, well, it was out of that conversation. All right. Yeah, a lot of how you said it, you know, it chose you. That's very often how ministry happens, right? You, yeah. You're just, you, you have opportunity in front of you, but you had to have the open heart to be able to say, all right, I'm just not going to shove this aside or make it a business trip and then leave it when I come. God was doing something in your life to make this happen. And uh, Carrie, um, you, we know the stories that happen uh, from orphans in Kenya that don't have a high school education and they don't have that hope in a future. What is the plight of a student who will graduate from Imani with a Christ-centered uh, education? What does that life look like? Well, a lot of opportunity is what that life looks like. Just getting your high school diploma is huge there. It doesn't happen automatically, so that's the first step. And then we help them get into university if that's what they would like to do. There's testing there just like here, so we help with that process and get them into universities. There's also specific job training programs if that's something they'd like to do. And then you saw the coffee on the screen. Coffee farming is actually a huge business and very profitable there, so that's an opportunity. They also grow their own food, so they're learning to farm already. Uh, so a variety of opportunities, which is something you don't have if you're just trying to eat every day. So this is something they didn't have before. Absolutely, and the, the cool vision you know, for me is you have these kids, ultimately there will be hundreds of kids graduating from Imani uh, Christian. And as they do, they'll be Christ-centered young men, young women, having all the opportunity to be in an influential uh, trade or a businessman or woman, go off to university and be at high levels of, of uh, either you know government or, or business, and then to watch what God does with those graduates, those alumni, to help shape Africa itself is going to be huge. You, you've said that there are some students that want to be a missionary as well, some right? Actually, do want to be missionaries that yeah. are at our school right now because they've seen the people from Temecula come to visit them. So what an amazing thing that's. A child in Embu is known by someone in Temecula, California. You know, how bizarre. So for them, it's just incredible. They feel so loved, and then they look at the continent of Africa where they would have much more success than we would traveling and being missionaries and look at that as something that they can do when they graduate too. That's great. We've been in business now for about nine months or so, just wrapping up the first school year. What is the day in the life of, of an Amani student look like? It's incredible. Um, they, they actually go to school six days a week. This year has been a really uh, an interesting learning curve as the children learn to sleep indoors. Um, they learn that they can expect a warm meal in the morning and a, a, some meal at bedtime. Um, it's just been incredible to watch them grow, take the time to, to learn, to come much closer to Christ. They have a chance to study Bible. You can imagine if you're spending all day scrounging for food, it, it makes it hard to have that relationship. Yet they still do, even as orphans. So it's just been incredible to watch the kids grow and, and to see the pictures this morning of the first class, you know, success, having success at the end of that first year is just amazing. Yeah, that's cool. The, the Imani program has hundreds of kids under care. 50 uh, fourth graders started this year, and the goal is for next year to add another 50, right? So what so, does, uh, and what would that look like, let's say, 10 years from now as we uh, keep this thing going, what does 10 years from now look like? Well, 10 years from now, we should have a, a full school all the way up to high school. We'll have some alumni. We do teach early on that, you know, these kids that are, are graduates will be responsible for the kids behind them. So it becomes an alumni-supported school as well. 
Um, it's just going to be fantastic to have that many kids, that many Christ-centered, well-educated Christian kids coming out of our schools. Yeah, that's going to be fun. I mean, just imagining where they're going to end up. Again, business, career, ministry, and to watch the influence that that's going to have. I mean, you're talking about a, a multiplying impact of, of one person um, who could have gone into any of these numbers of, of stories, uh, but instead they're going to be used by God to have influence to countless people. That is going to be tons of fun for sure. Well, Brian, we've talked about some of these stories here that are really heartbreaking and tragic, but um, let's tell the story of Karen. I had a chance to meet her a couple years ago uh, when I uh, had the privilege of being out there, and what I first noticed about her is that she is in charge. I mean, uh, this lady uh, knows the kids, and, and uh, she is gathering, particularly the younger ones. She's organizing them and telling them what to do, and she is running the, the, the show. Um, but uh, I didn't know her, her story until, um, until getting to know her a little deeper, so why don't you tell us her story? Karen was one of the first kids I met in the program. I can't. I've been doing this all morning, so it's hard. Um, she's one of the first kids I met, and she was part of that early conversation when we decided something had to be done. And Karen was introduced to me because she had come to mom's. Um, she'd been kicked out of school that day because she didn't have money for uh, her school fees, and she didn't have any shoes, so she couldn't attend. So this was four years ago. She's 16 now, so she was about 12. And she just, just as plain as day, says, I don't feel like I have a lot of hope, but Mr. Brian, am I pretty enough to be a prostitute? Okay, so I have daughters, and the first thing I thought of is, we, well, this can't happen. And that's really when the decision was made that, you know, we have to do this. Yeah. Well, Karen's story is going to be repeated <clears throat> countless times. Yeah. Uh, people who, who could have stories of absolute tragedy, and, and yet they have an opportunity to join Imani and to have health care, food, education, a hope, and a future so that, uh, you know, Karen and hundreds after her are going to be able to do a lot of good for a lot of folks, and their lives are literally going to be saved. So it's a great pleasure and privilege to partner with you all. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Well, we are going to take up an offering, and um, this tends to be a little bit of a younger crowd, so there's probably no checkbooks in this room. So you may not be quite uh, ready to give an offering now, either by check or by cash. Uh, but we want, we want to encourage you uh, that you can give in plenty of ways. You can go to rancho.tv slash giving, and there's an Imani School drop-down. And so we want to encourage you to, to go online. You can give on the app as well. There's just a lot of ways to, uh, to, to give. And, uh, and let's do something fantastic. In fact, as we take up this offering, I want to read to you from Isaiah 58.10. So clear. God's Word says, If you give on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed then your light will rise in the darkness and the night will become like the noonday sun. And what we've gone through here today is, is, is we really are face to face with what night looks like in the lives of the orphans of Kenya. It is dark. It is bleak. And with comparatively just a little bit of effort from us, as we have done year after year here at Missions Weekend, this is the third year now where we're really keeping fuel on this Imani Christian School fire because this vision is compelling. This vision is compelling. A lot of things that, that, that are done in the, in the name of humanitarianism may meet a need for the short term, but then that need continues and continues and continues. This is really changing systemically the cause of generational poverty for these kids. By giving them an education, it means not only will these kids' lives be saved, but imagine the good work that they will do to save other generations after them. This is really quite an investment opportunity. Um, and the reward 
is the future of these kids' lives. That's going to be fun to tell the stories of Imani graduates up here years from now. So as I take up, an opportunity, uh, take up this offering, I just want to, want to have you consider what that might mean. Now, you might think, I don't have a lot to give, but keep in mind, one person doesn't fill that gap. But collectively, collective time, collective energy, collective prayers, collective resources, we can do a lot of good so that that darkness is turned into noonday sun. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this opportunity to be faced with the reality of what is normal in a part of the world that many of us may never see or experience. There are so many orphans, particularly uh, AIDS orphans in Africa, who just have nothing going for them. They have very little support, very little provision. Many of them will spend their lives just um, scrounging for minimum wage labor, a couple of dollars a day, just for basic subsistence of food and water and some measure of shelter. And God, that cycle happens time and time and time again, unless it is broken in a permanent way, a systemic way, and this school is a way to do that. God, Imani is already being used by you to shape these children's lives, to let them know they are loved by you, loved by others, loved by us, uh, strangers across the globe, and they feel that love, and they know they're loved, and it makes a huge difference in their lives. But then for them to have security and shelter and health care and food and an education and a hope and a future, it is such an incredibly important investment. And so, God, I pray that there would be an outpouring of generosity uh, through this weekend and in the next week that will allow us to be able to open another grade next year so another class can come in, that the fourth graders becoming fifth graders would begin preparing for these critically important years, that a new batch of fourth graders would come in, and that year after year, these young men and women that you love so dearly would grow up to their full potential and help change the continent of Africa itself. God, we love you and thank you for this opportunity to give. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.